Well, good morning. How are we doing today? You guys doing good? All right. All right. My name is Mike. I'm one of the pastors here at Grace, and, and it's an honor and joy to be able to, to share from God's Word today. Pastor Jim is in Alaska. Uh, he was invited to go to Alaska to, uh, to speak to men, specifically uh, to speak to pastors and to be able to pour into them is something he's passionate about. And, um, and of course, Alaska is not a bad place to go if you're going to do that. And so, uh, yeah, just praying that he has a, just a refreshing time uh, up there in Alaska, pouring into men, doing what he loves, and hopefully taking in some, some scenery as well. Uh, but uh, we're in this series called Hope for Tomorrow. It's a study of the book of Ruth. And... Um, You know, Ruth is an amazing, incredible story of how God is always at work behind the scenes to fulfill his purposes. And I believe that that's that's true for your life as well. And it's true for my life as, as well. My wife and I had an opportunity uh, this week to kind of retrace some of our steps. Uh, and uh, the, the, the topic came up of how did we get here in Indiana uh, as, a, as a pastor? How did a Pennsylvania boy, um, you know, get here in Indiana? And so we, we began retracing those steps. And, and, it, and it brought us back to uh, when our oldest daughter, Casey, she's, uh, she's in her 20s now, when we were looking to get her enrolled in preschool, we had just moved to a, a brand new house kind of uh, in a new neighborhood, and so we were also looking for a new church. We, had, uh, we hadn't found a church. I was not a pastor at that time. I was uh, working in the marketplace as a, as a business leader, and uh, so we were looking for a preschool to enroll our daughter in. And my wife saw a Christian school that advertised uh, preschool at. So she called, set up an appointment. We had an appointment, we went, and we took a tour of the school. In the process of that tour, we found out that this Christian school also rented to a church. And um, we decided, well, we're looking for a new church. Let's, let's give it a shot. So we went there that Sunday, um, and, and as it turned out, it, we ended up uh, staying at that church, and it became our church. And, and God did an amazing thing in my life while I was there at, at that church. That's the church. Uh, it's called Gateway Church. That's the church where, where, where I uh, sensed the, the call of God to leave the marketplace and go into ministry. Uh, the other thing that... Um, that, that, I, I, that happened as being a part of, of this church is it connected me with another, uh, a fellowship of churches, a bigger group of churches uh, called, at the time it was called the Fellowship of Grace Brethren Churches. And that fellowship is the same fellowship that Grace Community Church is a part of. I had never heard of of that fellowship of churches, um, but we were introduced all because we were looking for a preschool for our daughter, and God had other plans and and uh, used that process. And so here I am today, standing in front of you, Pennsylvania boy, bringing the message. Uh, and but but see, here's the here's the reality. All of us, if we if we traced back. 
um, the steps, we would find, you would find that God is at work in us, in our situations, sometimes, sometimes even through painful situations, through good situations, through bad situations, um, but that's how he leads us. We believe that as followers of Christ. We believe in this thing called providence, that we're not here by accident, that God lines up people and places and events on the calendar to move us to where he wants to go because he loves us, right? And because he has a plan for us. And Ruth is all about that. It's all about God moving us to where he wants us to go and working behind the scenes to fulfill his purposes. I want to give you a little backstory where we've been. Last week, we began this new series, and what we learned last week is what not to be like, right? We, we, we took, uh, took a look at um, some poor decisions that were made. Um, uh, Elimelech uh, led his family he led his family to Moab because there was a famine in Bethlehem. And rather than relying on, on God and trusting God through that hard time, he kind of took a couple of steps ahead of God and said, okay, I'm going to move my family to Moab, away from God and, and uh, to a, a place where they worship false gods. And, uh, and it was a terrible choice. And it was a, a terrible example of what not to do. Uh, it resulted in Elimelech dying, his two sons dying. Of course, they had already married Moabite women. So now we have three widows uh, in the story. And, um, and, and we have Naomi. She is uh, just miserable. Being away from God for 10 years took a, a huge toll on her uh, spiritually, physically, she's miserable. She changes her name to Mara, which means bitter, to reflect just how miserable she really is. By the way, my wife's name is Naomi, and never once in an argument did I ever call her Mara. I just want you to know that. I just want you to know that I've never called her. She's a sweet, she's a sweet partner in ministry, and I love her. I love her to death. Um, but Naomi decides to move back to Bethlehem, and so she gets her daughters-in-law together and says, okay, listen, I'm going to go back to Bethlehem. I'm going to go try to pick up the pieces of my life, and I want you, daughters-in-law, just to stay here in Moab. Just start your life over I'll be all right. Don't worry about me. You stay here. You marry Moab, uh, Moab men and just be begin your life again. You're still young. You still have life out in front of you and do that. And, and as we know, uh, the story from last week, Ruth hung on to Naomi tightly and she said some beautiful words. That She said, where you go, I will go. Your God will be my God. Your people will be my people. And Ruth refused to, to let Naomi leave on her own. She followed Ruth. Uh, she followed Naomi. Ruth followed Naomi to back to Bethlehem, about a seven to ten day journey. And and here they are now. Now picture Ruth. She is uh, she's she's a, a foreigner. She's a widow. Uh, she's broke. She's poor. She only knows one person who happens to be her bitter mother-in-law, okay? So uh, is this a good season for Ruth or is this a bad season for Ruth? Help me out. Good season or bad season? Bad. 
It's a bad season, right? And, and here's what I want you to see as we unpack this story here this morning, is that despite the fact that it's a bad season for Ruth, she makes good decisions. She makes good decisions. So often I see this all the time as I meet with people, as I, as I see people, as I uh, watch people, as they're going through struggles in life. So many times people that um, ha- have gone through a difficult season and they're, and they, and they've, they're struggling or they're just coming out of a struggle and, or, or you know, they're in a hard time. So often uh, they allow their hurting heart or their bitter heart cause them to make more bad decisions. So you see a bad decision that somebody makes followed by more bad decisions. And, and you just can watch this from the outside and, you, and you're like, no, don't, don't be making decisions like that. Don't be making bad decisions like that. We're not gonna see that with Ruth. We're gonna see a person who's trusting the Lord in spite of her bad situation, in, st- in spite of this bad season that she's in. She makes a choice that, that honors God. And so if, you're, uh, if you have your Bibles this morning, turn to Ruth chapter 2. Ruth chapter 2. We're going to be looking at the first 13 verses uh, today of Ruth chapter 2. If you need a Bible this morning, go ahead and raise your hand up high, and ushers would put a Bible in your hand. If you, if you don't have a Bible, take this Bible home. This is our gift to you. Um, and as always, if you have about five of these at home on your dresser, bring a couple of them back. That would be great. But Ruth chapter 2, and uh, we're going to stand when you find that. Go ahead and stand to your feet. We're going to read out loud the first three verses of Ruth chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. Ready? Let's read this. Now, Naomi had a relative on her husband's side, a man of standing from the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I find favor. Naomi said to her, go ahead, my daughter. So she just, she went out, entered a field and began to glean behind the harvester. As it turned out, she was working in a field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. You may have a seat. So verse 1, we're introduced to a new person in our story. His name is Boaz. Boaz is the next person we're introduced to. His name literally means strong man, strong man. And it says here in verse 1 that he's a man of standing, which means that he is a man of character. He's a principled man. He has a reputation for being a man of integrity. And what we're going to learn today is that Boaz is a man whom we should strive to be like. He's a picture of a person that you and I should strive to be like. Also, I want you to know as we, as we process through this text here this morning, that Boaz also is what we would, 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 we would call a type or a depiction of Jesus. See how Boaz treats Ruth is a picture of how Jesus treats us. It's a picture of God's grace. It's a picture of, of God's unmerited favor, something that we don't deserve. And, um, and that's what grace is, right? It's impossible to deserve grace. It's, it's God giving us what we don't deserve. That's what grace, and what makes grace so fascinating, so amazing, and so, so beautiful is that it can only be given to us by the God whom we have sinned and we have rebelled against. 
That's, the, that's why grace is so amazing. And that's exactly what God gave us in the person of Jesus. And Boaz is a picture of that grace. He's a, he's a type or a depiction of Jesus that we can look to and we can learn a whole lot about how God has treated us in his grace. But it's also a picture of how we can be like Boaz. That, like we can be like Boaz. Look at verse two. It says, uh, and Ruth, the Moabite, the foreigner said to Naomi, let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I find favor. Now, just picture, picture this. This is a, a foreign woman coming, uh, live, living in Bethlehem. She doesn't know anybody. Remember, she only knows Naomi. That's the only person that she knows. And, um, and she isn't sitting at home complaining that she's poor and, and that uh, she doesn't have any food and that she doesn't have any money to buy food. She's not complaining about her situation, expecting for somebody to come to her, expecting a knock at the door and there'd be like a, a bag of uh, groceries from, from Kroger sitting on her front porch. She's not, she's not doing that. Instead, I love this, she's taking the initiative to go out and glean in the fields. Now, let me explain what gleaning was uh, back in this time. Gleaning was a system that God established, and it was a kind of like a welfare system to be able to take care of the poor and the hungry in that time. And everybody that owned a field, uh, the, the, the farmers in the field, they, they were to leave the edges or the margins of the field for the marginalized in life, the people that couldn't afford food, the, the, the poor, the hungry. And so they were to leave the edges of their field. They weren't supposed to harvest up to the edge of their field. They were supposed to leave the margins of their field for the gleaners, for the people that were hungry and needy and needed food to eat. Also, when they harvested their crop, Anything that fell to the ground, they weren't supposed to come back a second time. They weren't to make a second sweep to kind of pick up, you know, what they left behind the first time. The, the, the leftovers, the things that had fall on, on, fell on the ground were to be uh, left there for, for the gleaners, for the, for the people that needed uh, food. And so it was a system that cared for the poor, but it also gave people dignity in allowing them to work for their food and to be able to work uh, for, you know, for, for the food that they would bring home to their, their family. And Ruth, she leaves the house, and I love this about, about Ruth in the verse, because she left looking to find favor looking to find favor. She said, let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I find favor. She placed herself in a position for God to provide for her. And I love that. And, and so maybe you're here this morning and you're, you're struggling uh, through a difficult time in your life and you find yourself like looking at Ruth saying, man, that sounds a whole lot like me. Like I, I can see myself in Ruth's story. You're struggling. You're going through a difficult time. Maybe because of choices that you made. Maybe because of choices you, you didn't make. It just happened to be, you know, life is, is just hits you right where you're at and you find yourself at a difficult time. If that's you this morning, look at Ruth. Look at how she uh, put herself in a position where God can move in her life. Look at how she trusted God in spite of her circumstances, and uh, she took initiative. See, here's what I know about grace. 
We can't cause God's grace to flow towards us. Like you can't, you can't like go up to the faucet and turn grace on and just have grace like flow. You can't, you can't do that because that's not what grace is. Grace comes only from God. It's nothing that you can earn. You know, you can't be like a good person. And okay, uh, if, if I'm good, then God's grace, the spigots are gonna turn on and God's grace is gonna come. No, that's not how grace works. It's, it's something you don't deserve. That's the whole point of grace. So you can't cause God's favor to flow towards us, but we can do ourselves a favor. And we can stand along the route where God's favor usually flows. And, that, and that's, what, that's what, what Ruth is doing. She's, she's living by faith. She's taking steps of faith. She's saying, look, I'm not gonna sit around and, and, and mope about my situation. I'm gonna get out and do something that I can do and I can go and I can glean. I can glean and, and meanwhile, I'm gonna trust in the character of God. And look at verse three. And so Naomi says to her, okay, go ahead. Go ahead, my daughter. So she went out and she entered a field and began to glean behind the harvesters. And I love this next phrase. I love this next phrase. What I was talking about at the beginning, about me going to the, the preschool and then finding a church. Because here, here's the words. It says what? What, what, was the, what is the next phrase? As it turned out, she wasn't going to look for uh, Boaz's field. She didn't even know who Boaz was. But as it turned out, God was at work behind the scenes, working behind the scenes on her behalf. As it turned out, she was working in a field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. Ruth went out to the field and as it turned out, or we could say, you know, it just so happened, or sometimes we say, by chance, or as my luck would have it, you know, that, that's kind of the sense here. It's like, as it turned out, who knew? The, the, this field belonged to Boaz, and that becomes a very important piece of our story that we'll learn in the coming weeks. But it, it's interesting that when we are looking for God to show up, God coincidences begin to happen. Do you ever notice that in your life? When we're, we're looking for God to show up, these God coincidences begin to happen. The truth is God is always at work in us. He's never stopped working, okay? But the part of the problem is, is we don't notice. We stop looking for where God is working. And when we start looking for God to work, guess what happens? He shows up all over the place. He, he shows up, we start, we start to be able to see where God has placed us at the right time and the right time in history, uh, connecting us with the right people. And, and we begin to take notice of that. That's how God moves and works. But we're so focused on us oftentimes that we fail to look up and see where God may be working. Look at verse four, it says, just then Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and he greeted the harvesters. Check out how Boaz greeted his workers. He says this, he says, the Lord be with you. The Lord be with you. And, and the Lord bless you, the harvesters answered back. Now, Boaz is just a good boss, okay? He's a good boss. He, he shows up and the first thing out of his mouth isn't, why didn't you do that? Or I told you to do that yesterday. Why isn't it not done yet? Or why did you do that? Why did you do it that way? I told you to do it this way. The first words out of his mouth are the Lord be with you. It's a blessing. 
It's a blessing. He's just a good boss. Now, if you have a boss like that, okay, if you got a boss like that, thank him. Like, thank him. Okay, matter of fact, pick up your phone right now. You can text in the middle of my message. Like, go ahead, text your boss. If you have his number, text him and just say thank you. Like, thank you for being the kind of boss that you are. Boaz is just a good, a good guy. He's one of those bosses you just want to work for. Look at verses five, five through seven. Boaz asked the overseer of his harvesters, who does that young woman belong to? And the overseer replied, she is the Moabite who came back from Moab with Naomi. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves behind the harvesters. And check this out. This is the report that the manager gave to Boaz, the, the boss. She came into the field and has remained here from morning till now, except for a short rest in the shelter. And here's what's amazing to me about this whole thing. Boaz is a very, very busy man, okay? He owns probably a lot of fields. He has a lot of employees. And if you are here today and you're kind of your own boss, you have a business uh, that, you, that you run, you will, know, uh, you will know this, you know, you're the HR department, you're the pay, payroll department, right? You're the complaint center, uh, right? You get all the complaints from everybody that's unhappy. Uh, not only that, you get to fix the broke stuff, don't you? The stuff that breaks down, all the tools, you got your duct tape out there, and you're fixing stuff up to make your employees happy, right? Boaz is a busy man, but what's amazing about all of this is that he stops to notice Ruth. He stops to take notice of Ruth. Now, that's amazing because he's, a, he's got all kinds of employees. Not only that, there's, there's all kinds of gleaners there, uh, you know, people that are, are wanting around the edges of their field, you know, so there's just a lot of people. There's a lot of action happening, yet Boaz notices Ruth. And I told you as I started the message here that Boaz is a person that we should strive to be like. We, we, we should become people of grace. And the first thing I want you to know in becoming a person of grace is this. A person of grace notices people who are in need of grace. A person of grace notices people who are in need of grace. Now, I know that sounds super simplistic and you're like, okay, Pastor Mike, I hope you got something more than that. I hope you're gonna be a little deeper than that. Listen, here's the reality. We just don't notice people like we should. We don't notice people. We're so focused on ourselves and our own agenda. Some of you, you showed up late this morning for third service. You did like one of these two-wheel numbers around the corner to whip into the driveway. You wanted to drive across the grass, but there was a rope across and you couldn't do it. And you came in here frazzled, right? And your kids, they're like swinging behind you as you're running them to check them in. And and you, you, you had time for coffee, though. You went up to the coffee. Never noticed that? Like, people are running there, like, go, oh, and the coffee. Ooh, coffee. Take your time. Ding, 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 ding. It's amazing. But the truth of the matter is, like, you wouldn't have noticed a person in the corner out in the foyer crying. You wouldn't have, you, there's a good chance, like, you would have missed that, right? 
There, there's a good chance. Why? Well, because we, we just aren't good noticers. I'm not a good noticer at times. And you know what my big issue is with noticing people? My stinking phone. My phone. I know you guys don't have that issue. It's, you guys don't have that issue, right? I have an iPhone. Anybody in here have an iPhone? Raise your hand if you have an iPhone. Okay, We're, I'm sorry I'm leaving you Android people out. Uh, we love you too, but... Uh, on the iPhone, right, recent update just came out, and now they send you screen time notices. You guys notice that? Comes out on Sunday. I hate it. I hate it. The first time that thing came onto my phone, I'm like, how do they know? You know, I'm, I'm like, and, and I, I look quick, quickly just to try to get that thing off my phone. I don't want to see it. I already know I spend way too much time on my phone, and then I realize, like, I, I probably need to look at this. I probably need to see how bad it is. Like, you know, I'm the guy that's not going to want to go to the doctor. Like, I, I, I'm going to be dead before I go to the doctor. I'm that guy, right? And, but the truth of the matter is, like, I need to probably go to the doctor and get things checked out. I need to look at how bad it is. So I look at this screen time report, and I'm like, wow, no wonder I don't notice people. Like, I'm glued to my phone, right? And we struggle. That's a, that's a real-life struggle for a lot of us here, my guess is, in this room. And, 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 and it's even as bad as like, you know, I'll go out on a date with my, my wife and, and we'll be out there together across from each other and she'll say, hey, honey, I have to use the restroom and she'll get up. What do we do when the person that's sitting across from us gets up and goes and uses the restroom? What's, what's our natural response? Help me out. What is it? Grab the phone, right? Like, why not? Why wouldn't you do that? Got some free time with the phone out, get caught up on Facebook. You know, Kevin is doing that again. Oh my goodness. You know, whatever, you know, and, and answer a couple texts and then wife comes back, put the phone back in the pocket and now I'm focused on my wife, but I missed everything that's going around me. I, mean, I missed everything that's, that's happening around me. See, a person of grace notices people who are in need of grace, we need to practice this discipline of, of noticing. Uh, we need to practice this, this, this discipline. Uh, take a look at verse 8. It says, So Boaz said to Ruth after he noticed her, My daughter, listen to me. Don't go and glean in another field and don't go away from here. Stay here with the women who work for me. Now, uh, this is just crazy because I'm sure, uh, you know, these farmers had a lot of gleaners that come to their field because it was the law. You know, they had to open up their fields to poor people that would come along their, their margins. And I'm sure there was, there was plenty of farmers that, that didn't have a good relationship with the gleaners. You know, it was like, okay, I'm going to allow you to be here in my field because I have to, but I'm going to like run my tractor really close to you. Like I'm going to, as a matter of fact, I'm going to run you over if you don't, if you don't watch. You know, that, that, that could, could be the, the attitude that a lot of these farmers have, and especially towards somebody who was a foreigner, especially towards a, 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 a woman who was a widow, poor widow who was a foreigner from, from Moab, that place. It's like from that place. Like keep, keep those people out of my field, okay? If you're a poor person and you are an Israelite, you come to my field. But you're a poor person from Moab. Like go, go in 
that guy's field over there. I don't, I don't want you here. Like that, that could have been the response. That could have been the, the attitude of Boaz. And he's saying, no, 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 listen, listen. He's saying, Ruth, listen, you, you don't have to go anywhere. Like my field is your field. I, I want you to work right along. I'm, in matter of fact, I want you to go from the edges of this field. I want you, I want to bring you in closer. I, I want you to feel welcomed here. This is a welcoming place to you. And see, a person of grace invites people on the outside to the inside. That's what a person of grace does, invites a people that are on the outside margins of life, the marginalized people of life, and invites them to the inside. See, we need to be people who are looking for those kinds of people. That's why we're here. See, here's the amazing thing about the church. And I don't mean Grace Community Church. I mean the church, big capital C, church. The church is the only institution, check this out. It's the only institution on the planet that exists primarily for those who are not yet part of it. That's, that's the church. It exists primarily. It's the only institution on the planet that exists primarily for those who are not yet part of it. Jesus was all about inviting people from the outside to the inside. He did that with his own disciples. See, he didn't go after the educated rabbis that kind of rose to the, the surface um, to the top of their class. Matter of fact, he actually went to the flunkouts because that's the fishermen, right? Because the, the if you're a good Jewish boy, you want to be a rabbi. Like that's what you're living your life for. Like I want, I want to grow up to be a rabbi. And you go through school and you, you do your best to be chosen to be a rabbi. And if you don't meet the grade, guess what you do? You go back to the, the family business. And, and Jesus went to the outside, he went to the fishermen, and he goes, come on, you got a place with me. Like, come on to the inside. You marginalized, you know, you, you, you didn't think you'd ever amount to anything. Guess what? Come on, you're now part of my team. Come on in, be a part of my team. And he invited, that's what, and that's what Jesus did for you and for me when it comes to our standing before God. I, I love 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 through 10. It's, it's, it's two verses that we should all commit to memory. And it says this, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of the darkness, out from the margins of life, out from the edges of, of life and, and, and he pulled you in, called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. That's what God did for us. That's what Jesus did for us. That's the grace that was given to you and, and was given to me. And that's the, the, the people that we get to be to others. Like we can get to be those people. We get to. We get to be people of grace in the lives of people who are hurting. See, here's what I know about people and here's what you know about people. People desperately want to belong. They want to belong. And we need to be willing to step out to the margins alone but walk back with somebody by our side. That's what God calls us to be. He wants us to bring people on the outside to the inside. I love that. 
I love that. Look at, look at the first part of verse nine. It says, it says this, Boaz says to Ruth, he says, watch the field where the men are harvesting. And Ruth, here's what I want you to know. Follow along after the women and, and check this out, Ruth. I have told the men not to lay a hand on you. Okay, so now Boaz just instituted the very first sexual harassment policy in the workplace recorded in the Bible. You could just picture it. He he pulled his young men together and he said, look, if you lay a hand on that young lady, I got a shotgun, a shovel, and 40 acres and they won't even find you. That's what he said. That's what he said. And, and, and he's, telling, he, he's telling Ruth, he's saying, look, Ruth, I want you to feel safe. I want you to feel protected. And I am going to protect you. And I'm going to do everything that I can to make you feel dignity and worth and value. And I'm going to do it in a way that's just incredibly excessive. I'm going to do it in a, in a, in a way that's just excessive. And, 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 and he tells his young men, don't, do not lay a hand on you. This is in a culture where women can very easily be taken advantage of, especially a foreign woman. And here, Boaz is just a man of integrity. He's standing up for uh, not only his workers, but now he's standing up for Ruth, this, this foreigner, uh, woman, widow, poor, uh, in, a, in a very hard place in life. And he's saying, I'm going to protect you. See, a person of grace makes people feel safe around them. A person of grace makes people feel safe around them. And I'm not talking just about physical safety. Yes, people should feel physically safe around you. But I'm talking about emotional, emotionally safe. People should feel emotionally safe around you. Uh, you know, People that have been through a lot, people that are often on the margins of life, have built up all kinds of walls of protection. Because you know why? Because they're tired of getting hurt. They're just tired of getting beat up. That takes a toll on people, you know? Uh, pe- constantly being told you're never going to measure up, constantly be, being told that, you know, you're, 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 you're in this place because you made the decisions and you earned your way to the place you're at. Well, you know, that might be true, but, but the truth of the matter is uh, that, that people in the mar- on the margins of life often have so many walls built up around them because they're just plain tired of getting hurt and they can't take another person um, you know, walking out on them or, or telling them what they already know ab- about, their, about themselves. And what they need isn't somebody to point their finger at them, but they need somebody that they can feel safe around. Somebody that's going to actually begin breaking down that wall that they've built up around them to protect themselves. So you should be a person, being a person of grace, uh, you should be so inviting. You should be, you should be this, this person that you've received incredible grace from your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, like you were a mess. You, you were a mess, dead in your sin, and Jesus brought you back to life through his grace. And so you know what it's like to be lost. And, and a person of grace makes people feel safe around them. Look at the second part of verse nine there. Uh, Boaz says to Ruth, whenever you are thirsty, go and get a drink from the water jars, the who? Who? 
the men have filled. Now, that doesn't sound like a big deal. Let me just tell you, that's a big deal. That's a really big deal. The fact that Boaz told her to drink from the, the jars that the men had filled, filled. Uh, customarily, women drew water for men and foreigners drew water for Israelites. Certainly, certainly a foreign woman doesn't drink from a jar that a man filled up. But that's the, this excessive grace that Boaz is pouring out on, on Ruth. You know, Ruth is showing up that morning and I could just imagine her prayer. You know, a new follower of Christ, she's a new believer and she wakes up in the morning and, and she's just like, Lord, if I could just find a few crumbs that would like come my way, that would fall my way, like just enough to like just feed me and heal me today, that would be just amazing. That would be more than I ever expected. And now she's... She's just receiving this excessive grace uh, in, in an amazing way. And, and here's, here's the reality. A person of grace is excessive in their generosity. See, here's what I know. The world is filled with takers. The world is filled with, with, with takers. The church should be filled with givers, people that are so blown away by the lavish grace and generosity of Jesus that they just can't help to be generous. I love Ruth's response. Look at this. Look at verse 10. Look at Ruth's response from encountering all of this grace upon grace in her life. Verse 10. At this, what did she do? She what? She bowed down with her face to the what? To the ground. And she asked him, what's the first word that came out of her mouth? Why? Why have I found such favor in your eyes that you what? Notice me a foreigner. She's so used to not being noticed. She's so used to, to just kind of, you know, struggling her way through, through, through life. And, 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 and here she is, she's being encountered by this grace. She doesn't even know how to respond to it. It brings her to her knees. Her face is down in humility. At the thought of, of, of all of this grace being poured out on, on her and the only thing she can, she can even gather, the words that she can gather together are, is why. Because it doesn't add up. It doesn't make any sense. There's a video of a, of a woman who is on a subway train in New York City and she's selling roses. And... She's obviously on the margins of life because you wouldn't sell roses on a subway in New York City if you weren't living in the margins of life. I saw this video this week and I was just blown away by it. And I'm going to show it to you in a couple minutes, but I wanted to describe it for you a little bit because the quality is not great. It was recorded on an Android. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> I'm sorry, I had to do that. Had to tie up that iPhone thing I did earlier. I'm just kidding. Okay, but, but here's, the, here's the reality. I wanted to describe it for you because the, the quality's not great, um, but, but I want you to watch what happens when a man uh, does something excessive, excessively generous. Take a look at this video. They're a dollar each or $11 from the dozen. So you can like 12 for every, 12, you get one of the 12 for free. And they're all like different 
would, it would, okay, if you want 15 roses, that would be $14. So, you bought 40, how much, right? Sorry? You bought 40, right? One, 140. 140 dollars, right? <laughs> you said. Yeah, but I, you gotta do me a favor. You gotta give them out. Right? I, I, I you, can't gotta, hear you. you gotta give them out. Right? You just give them out today. Now you spend the day nice. You just give them to everybody. Don't sell any of them. Give them all away. Right? Because you. Don't oh, be like that. Don't be like that. It's a happy day. Look, now you just give them out. Now you just give them out. But promise me you'll give them out. Promise? I'll give you a pound. I'll bring it for anybody who wants a rose, you can come and get one. Free roses! <laughs> Help me out, guys. <laughs> Listen, G Jesus didn't step onto the train of your life and purchase part of your sin. He purchased all of your sin. And do you know what he said to you when he purchased all of your sin? He said, freely you have received. Now freely you should what? You should give. This grace that we've encountered from our amazing Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's, it's something that doesn't add up, but it should compel us to be just excessive in our grace that we give towards people. And, and Ruth is just so confused by this grace shown to her by Boaz that all she can say is, why? Like, why? Why? Look at, look at verse 11 and through, through 13 here as we wrap things up. Boaz replied, I've been told all about what you've done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband and how you left your father and mother and your homeland and came to live with the people you did not know before. Not only does he notice her, but he knows her story. Like he listened enough that he knows her story and he's retelling her story uh, back to her. And then look at this. This is amazing. He prays for her. He prays over her. Uh, verse 12, may the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. And then she says this, may I continue to find favor in your eyes, my Lord. You have put me at ease by speaking kindly to your servant, though I do not have the standing of one of your servants. No, notice the humility in Boaz. Like, you know, she's saying, you know, like, wow, thank you, thank you, thank you. He's not saying, yeah, I know, I'm, I'm pretty special. Like, I'm pretty, I'm, I'm, I got the stuff. Yeah, I know that. No, he's not doing that at all. He's pointing her to God. He's saying, he's, he's letting her know that, that, that the grace she received comes from God. It's only flowing through me. And that should be our attitude. That should be exactly our attitude as well. But there's something else I, I really wanna, uh, I want you to see, and I, and I want to close with this, and that is this. He not only prayed an incredible prayer of blessing over her, 
but he was the answer to the very prayer he was praying. Did, did, did you catch that? See, because it's, we should always pray for people and we should always offer to pray. For, that should be the first thing that we do. We should always say, can I pray for you? That sounds really hard. Can I, pray, can I pray for you? We should always do that. We should always start there. But we shouldn't end there. We, we shouldn't end there. See, a person of grace not only prays for people, but, but check this out, but is looking for a way to be an answer to the very prayer they are praying within your power, within your power. Uh, so let, let me just leave you with this. If God lays someone on your heart to pray for them, there might be a good chance that he is laying them on your heart to also answer the prayer that you're praying for them. Amen? Person of grace notices people in need of grace. Person of grace invites people on the outside to the inside. A person of grace makes people feel safe emotionally, physically around them, breaks down walls. Person of grace is excessive in their generosity. And a person of grace not only prays for people but is looking for a way to be an answer to the very prayer they are praying. We started out uh, singing, we sang this song right before the message, powerful, powerful song, As You Find Me. And uh, man, the lyrics uh, of that song this week, I, I played that song over and over uh, this week as I was preparing for this message, but some of the lyrics were, were this. I, I was found before I was lost. I was yours before I was not. You wear the scars for all my mistakes and that part just wrecks me. And I know I don't deserve this kind of love, but somehow this kind of love is who you are. It's a grace I could never add up to be somebody you still want, but somehow you love me as you find me. Let me pray for you this morning. Lord, thank you for your grace. It's excessive. <laughs> and Lord, uh, we don't deserve the kind of love that you've given to us. But we receive it. <laughs> I gladly receive it, Lord. But the response should be, freely I've received your grace and freely I will give it. Lord, I want to be a person of grace. We want to be people of grace. Help us to do that. We can't do that on our own. It's only through your spirit that we can be those kinds of people. Help us to be those kinds of people, Lord. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.